Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Welcome back, everybody. We are going to give you a great episode here today. We have Mr. Troy Fowler, a.k.a. The Ranch Fairy. So The Ranch Fairy, great YouTube channel. Um, that's where I found Troy. Met him at the ATA show this year. Awesome guy. Hilarious. This is a very entertaining podcast. We talk about archery, arrow building setups, FOC, uh, penetration on whitetail and other animals, the Ashby Foundation. Everything that has to do with building a very solid arrow setup. So if you're tinkering around with your bows like we are this time of year, getting ready to shoot all summer and all spring, you know, Brian just got a new bow. Um, I think I'm going to grab one as well. I think uh, now is the time to start thinking about this stuff. And the Ranch Fairy on YouTube has been my one of my number one sources of information for the type of solid arrow setup i'm looking forward to feel confident in the woods with my bow so stay tuned we're gonna get troy on here in just a minute first i want to thank everybody who has jumped in for the habitat hook giveaway nick nation over at the habitat hook he's a partner of ours i am giving away a fully extendable aluminum version that i'm buying from nick and giving it away to the listeners this is a $250 value. We have a bunch of people signed up. All you have to do is go to HabitatPodcast.com, 
the hook giveaway is right on the homepage. Or you can just go to your email app right now, type in info at habitatpodcast.com and put Habitat Hook as a subject. You hit send there, you are automatically entered to win a brand new fully extendable aluminum Habitat Hook. Brian and I will both be down with Corey as well on um, one of our client Mike's farms, one of his farms down in Ohio this weekend working with our hooks. I said it before, I'll say it again, I do not go into the woods with my chainsaw without my Habitat Hook. It is that important to me. And why I do that, I can get a much thicker hinge left behind on a tree with the hook than without. So what I'm trying to say is you don't have to cut as far through the tree before you can get it to hinge over, which leaves it a far better chance of living and creating that living side cover and browse that I'm looking for. So last chance to enter for that. I also want to thank... Packer Max cold to Packers. So if you guys have a Packer Max and you've been thinking about getting into, you know, some better soil health, uh, better food plots, less herbicide, less fertilizer, the price of that, holy wah, uh, think about a roller crimper. So Lincoln has an attachment for his cold to Packers that is a roller crimper attachment. I ran it all last year. Terminated rye, terminated buckwheat, terminated some random weeds I had, and I will strictly be using that this year um, with some highly diverse seed mixes coming out here soon. So the crimper attachment, go to packermax.com, tell them Habitat Podcast sent you, and be sure to use the HPC25 giveaway. Not giveaway, discount code. That gives you 25 bucks off any packer or crimper on link's website and if you're in michigan feel free to swing by over there at best outdoors packer max you'll find lincoln always a great guy to talk to and catch up with all right i'd also like to just shout out everybody who's leaving us great reviews Got a couple more this week that sent us in your information on facebook thank you very much uh, my wife put those decals in the mail today i saw the outgoing mail when i got home and uh, a few more free decals, 5-inch Habitat Podcast decals being sent out to listeners who leave us great reviews. Guys, this helps us track and keep up with all the podcasts out there and um, helps people find us, most importantly. You know, podcasting is unique in how you can advertise and market. Um, and uh, the more people that go looking for Habitat-type stuff and they see good reviews, they're going to find us. So appreciate that. There's a link below in the show notes. Go down there, hit click, leave a review. Put your name on there. Let me know you did it. Shoot us an email. Go on Facebook. Let us know you left one. We'll get you hooked up. Now I want to thank Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras. We'll be down with the Exodus Boys next week, working on some content together. Morris Nursery. Trees are shipping next week into May. A lot of stuff going on these these days, guys, with the habitat, and I'm loving it. Afflictor Broadheads, and last but truly not least, the squirrel at nutplanter.com. I also have some acorns going in the ground soon. It is a busy time of year in the habitat world, and we are happy to be uh, working hard for you guys. Here's some more free content. We're getting in it with Troy Fowler, a.k.a. The Ranch Fairy, on YouTube. 
everything regarding a solid arrow build. All right, everybody, hey. we're back. Hey, <laughs> what's up, Troy? Oh, just another day in paradise. Been working all day at my corporate slug job, and <laughs> off we go. So here right. we're going to have some fun tonight and uh, chit-chat about whatever. We might go all over the dang gun place. So if you're listening to this, I'm a little erratic sometimes, even though I'm 53. I'm supposed to be a mature adult. It's so overrated. I raised three kids and all that. So I've raised three good kids. And uh, here we go. So thanks for having me on. It was fun at ATA. And yeah. I had a good time. The, yeah, great uh, to meet you. Um, Brian and I both thought you did a, a great job in your uh, seminar. Um, sure we did. both were there watching and, and saw you uh, duke it out with uh, what's his nuts, Burnsworth over there. But uh, happy to have you on. You know, glad, <laughs> glad you're on here. Brian, how you doing, buddy? Happy St. Patty's Day. Thanks, buddy. Same to you. I'm a hot mess today. It was uh, 70 degrees after we had six or eight inches of snow on Friday night. So I was outside doing all kind of crazy stuff and we turned the clocks forward and I'm like, oh, damn, I got a podcast in about 20 minutes. I better get, yeah, get right. inside and get thrown off a little get bit. to getting. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The podcast, the uh, presentation at ATA got a little sidetracked. I actually wanted him to go somewhere. That was my only problem with Jim was he didn't go anywhere. He was, he was kind of lost. He was tripping over his own shoelaces the whole time and out over his skis. And I couldn't figure out what the hell he was talking about. It could have been really interesting. Right. And he didn't go anywhere. So next time I, I looked at that and I looked back and, you know, the rocket man was back in the corner. He goes, man, that's, you know, it was kind of BS. And I went, no. Jim is no smarter today than he was, and I am a lot smarter. I mean, I'm ready for that now. So it was actually a good thing. But he's a long-range guy, and he didn't disagree with my math. <laughs> so, well, it didn't look like you weren't ready. I mean, you handled that perfectly fine, I think. I mean, I would have lost my temper a little bit, but you handled it super well. Well, anybody that opens up with, I've done this and I've done that, you're, you've already got them. There, he was sure. already, he was already, he already had the speed wobbles when he had to introduce himself was killing 9,000 animals. I wanted to say, well, you've killed a thousand animals. So that means you're about 50. So that's 30 or 35 animals a year over three decades. Right. I mean, you're, that's what you're telling me. That's two a month, two and a half a month. Okay. I got you. Right. I right. do depredation hunts. and I don't get 30 a year. The best I did. Well, I did 52 pigs one year, but that was all. I bought a bunch of, I bought three ARs when the Trump Hillary thing was going through because I thought it was going to be bad and I decided to use them. So I deployed them one year and killed <laughs> 56 pigs with them. So I was a little bit rambunctious, but anyway, what y'all want to chit chat about? Do you have any direct questions that are burning in your head? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we got a couple for you. Um, I just, yeah. Happy to have you on. Been a big fan of the Ranch Fury channel on YouTube for a long time. Um, Great. thank you. And I've probably seen all your videos, maybe, maybe twice. Uh, big fam. Just glad to have you here. And, uh, yeah. So basically we want to hear about your story, um, about your background first, kind of how we get these things started, you know, paint us a picture of who you are, where you're from that whole yep. video. Yep. And then, um, you know, it's, it's March right now, St. Patty's day and people are probably thinking about arrows and broadheads and all that stuff for this year. So kind of, kind of the, the thing here. So go ahead and let us okay. know, uh, you know, all about you, if you don't mind. 
No problem. I'm a corporate slug. I've had, been working for a Fortune 500 company for 22 years, and somehow I've had seven different jobs, and I've advanced way beyond I, where I ever thought I would with a 2.6 when I graduated high school. And um, I actually have two degrees, which somehow miraculously occurred. And um, one of them is in respiratory therapy. I thought I wanted to be a respiratory therapist or a doctor, and I found out that very quickly I did not want to work like that. But during, I have always had a very strong science mind. And in school, I made straight A's in science. I did very well in respiratory therapy school. I was top of my class kind of thing because it was functional learning. I literally said to the algebra teacher, we did that crap yesterday. Like, I mean, I, boring, right? But I was fortunate in school to have a cadaver. Well, we had multiple cadavers. And we actually had tests where the chest wall was open and there were pins in it. And you had a blank piece of paper. And you had to figure out what the hell the pin was in. And that's not normal. So fast forward, um, my story for the channel is failure. Um, I shot a 150-inch deer in 2007 or 8. And I honestly don't care to kill another deer. Howard got me going this year because that's a big deer on the ranch that I have basically managed up for 10 years, but we'll do that on another podcast. He was big. But since that time, I couldn't care less to kill my deer. I raised boys and I've got 39 nieces and nephews. I married a dog. My wife has nine siblings. Mm. So I've got a gun with 36 names on it of people who shot their first animal with it. I write their name on the stock. That's it's fantastic. really cool. So I've been in on, you know, and I don't know how many deer I've killed because of my subscribers. I probably killed a 2000 deer this year, right? Just sitting in my chair. So, but failure means um, I never fail. I never lost my love for hunting big feral hogs and they're not easy. Um, everybody thinks you just go sit by the old feeder and the old fat boy comes out and you plunk him in the side and whack him big. And they are like a mature whitetail. You got to let the little ones pass. You got to sit there sometimes and not shoot. You got to hunt the big ones. And you'll, they'll walk over, go downwind 80 yards of you, smell you, and walk off. They won't even grunt. I've seen them just walk across the pasture, a bunch of pigs in front of me. They'll swing behind me. You see them go like this, and they go, and they just go like this, and they walk off. They don't scream at you. They don't run. They just walk off. They go, gotcha, right? There was one pig, I almost got a rifle and whacked him because I got tired of doing that, but I didn't do that. So we are sitting at deer feeders. I know the distance. When a big one comes in, he's convinced he's right and he's not dying. He's checked all the damn boxes that he's been checking for five or 10 years. And he's right there. And I was 50% at one time. We used to just go, I don't know how to kill these things. So I had mechanicals. I had, you know, 400 spine arrows. I was shooting 70 pounds. I was going fast. I was going with the normal stuff. And when you say 50%, Troy, sorry, when you say 50%, you mean you found one out of every two hogs you shot. That's right. Or less. I'm giving myself a little latitude there. It was terrible. Sure. That sucks because you're hunting for 10 hunts. And they're right there. There's no swinging out of trees or climbing in public and they come by. There's... You can wait till they're cornered away. If you're patient, you'll get the shot you want. Just wait. They're not going anywhere. They're, they're convinced they're right. And they run everything else off. And they'll just do circles around the feeder. You just got to wait. You'll get a quartering away shot. Da, da, da. I had every broadhead on earth. 
every setup. I kept changing, doing this, doing that, four blade, 20 blade, mechanicals. And I just wasn't, I mean, I have guns. I have a 44 Magnum lever gun that's badass for shooting those guys right in the freaking head. The sound of that little bullet hit, the big bullet hitting them in the head is awesome. Whoop! <laughs> I mean, it's great because the gun's quiet. <laughs> anyway, um, in probably 2014, I started exploring the high forward to center thing. And the only thing out was Ed's study. And I read the whole thing and I said, well, I'm not doing it. I can't do any worse. I mean, I already suck. So if that don't work, I can't suck worse than I'm sucking now. So I tuned one up and I still wasn't convinced. And I had my bow shooting a 670 grain arrow with a single bevel. Um, real nice. Didn't know how to tune, didn't know about not tuning. I was just bare. I was fletched tuning and I got, kept spining up and kind of half-ass figured it out. You went, you went right for the goose though with a 670. I mean, you, you didn't screw around with an arrow in the 400s, 500s. No, if I was, I decided I was going to go do Ed if I was going to do Ed, right? Sure. Well, sure. I had one of my longbow going and I had one of my compound. I wasn't convinced that slow with compound was the right move. I just wasn't, my head wasn't right. <coughs> but the stick bow was what Ed shot. And I said, okay, I'm going to do that. So I had 670 grains, about 28% forward to center. I had the exact head that Ed shot in the study, which is... This head right here, that's the 190 Grizzly. At the end of the study, that was the biggest single bevel out there. Now there's all kinds of stuff and tough heads and all that good stuff. Much better stuff than that. Anyway, I go out wandering about looking for a test pig. And I'm looking for like a test pig, like a 100-pound test pig, just to test on. No, I get the biggest pig I've shot to date. 265 pounds hanging is a big pig for me, for our place. We don't have a lot of agriculture where there's fields and stuff that get huge, but so I mosey up and I go, you got to be freaking kidding me. That's, I stalk up on him and the damn thing literally looks at me like, what you going to do with that thing? <laughs> he walks up 17 yards and they're, they can't bend like a deer can turn his head. So pigs swivel like, like, like a hole. They just go like this. So he walks and turns toward me. And I said, if Ed's right, this is going to work. And I was seeing in my head, this shit ain't going to work. <laughs> so I go back to 54 pounds. I mean, I'm shooting about 157, 58 feet per second slow. And I shoot that pig right there. And it goes chut and buries like it disappears in him. Well, it went smooth through him. And the broadhead popped out his ham. So we're talking four feet of penetration easy. I'm going like this. The pig's <laughs> on the ground spinning. And I thought I broke his back. He gets up and runs kind of toward me. He was just leaving. He didn't charge me or anything. And I promptly shoot right over his back at like four yards. I took one step and stepped in his foot tracks and he ran off in the bushes. So it was a forward hit, blah, blah, blah. We waited four hours. We found him. He went hundred yards. And I went, I'm used to hit someone this much arrow sticking out. Okay. But I shot smooth through one with this slow deal. And I said, hmm. So I tuned up the bow, my compound and took off and I started I started whacking them. It is now to the point that it's me. If I put the arrow in the wrong place, I did this this summer. I was hunting this great big pig out here on the ranch on my local place. I finally got him in front of me. I hit him back and the arrow went plumb through him and he got away. He didn't die. He went to another feeder. He said, hey, oh, that feeder over there. And that, but it's just me now. 
I don't have broadhead failures. I don't have arrow failures. I don't have half an arrow penetration. I break things when I hit them. And if I shoot correctly, this sounds like an arrogant statement, but 70 yards is a long way to, find, to go get one if right. I hit them right. Oh, yeah. I've had lots of people tell me that, and I always go, yeah, right, you're just full of crap. I'm, it's amazing what happens. And I honestly think the more I look at this, the more I ponder this, the more I learn to sharpen and get really good steel. I think my broadheads in the old days were getting destroyed on impact. Well, honks are tough. I mean, real tough. And they're high. Well, so to speak. So there's a couple things that's real funky about them. First of all, they're, they're always covered in sand. Even when they look dry, they're not. Because they roll and roll. Their hair is awful. I don't know if you've ever cleaned one, but they eat knives. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, you know then. They eat knives, right? And I honestly think my broadheads were hitting the impact side of the pigs and getting chewed up and the blades were getting dulled. And then they hit the ribs, which are awful. Next time you got a rack of ribs in front of you, look at the bones. They're like this far apart. So I think I was shooting them and hitting them with dull broadheads. They were sharp in my hand. They were dull when they hit the lungs and they could just go. Yeah. Now when I'm shooting a really, really, I mean, I'm stropping and I've got great broadheads that don't die, don't break. It's just, so that's my story. So I started the channel because I started going, wow, this is amazing. And you can get aggressive on the forward part of them with the arrow like that. And it wasn't supposed to be, I wasn't supposed to be on podcasts. I was supposed to stay in my hole with my tinfoil hat and leave me alone because I've <laughs> got about three friends I like and the rest of the people can just go away. And somehow I got out of control. So here we are. <laughs> That's my story. So, Troy, you mentioned Ed. Give our listeners the Cliff Notes version for anybody that might not be familiar with Ed and his studies back in the day. Sure. So, Dr. Ed Ashby did a 27-year study on arrow penetration. That would be almost three decades. He hurt himself. He fell off a mount, down a mountain or something hunting sheep and could not continue. So the first study was all with a stick bow. He was getting ready to start doing compounds. And he hurt himself to the point that he couldn't keep doing it. Some of the stuff in Australia changed. And there were some things that happened worldwide that didn't allow him the freedom that he had in the old days. But in Africa, he was a PH. He was also a beta tester for Barnes Bullets and some other cool stuff. He's done so many things. And by a weird, curious bunch of events, some, the whole continent of Africa asked, some, asked him by, it's a long story, but to study arrow penetration and figure out what was legitimately effective for, you could, uh, for archery. You could not legally bow hunt in the 80s and before. I don't know when the law changed. It's like 85 or 90 or somewhere. But you could not legally bow hunt in Africa, and there were three countries, if I got it right, that had no ways or means law, so you could do whatever you wanted, freaking punt guns and bombs and whatever. They didn't care how you killed everything. And they wanted the economic value of having bow hunters come over. So he did this long study, and he started out with wood and aluminum and whatever broadheads he could get, just guessing. He's literally guessing shooting Cape Buffalo, then he moved to Australia where there's a crap load of Asiatics. They're everywhere. And started testing on them and 
just started, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just a curious dude plunking arrows into stuff and started to discover this stuff. And then carbon came along and allowed a very light arrow with a very heavy point. And that's how the four to center thing came about. Four to center is an aeronautical term that is commonly known in the rocket model rocket industry, flight characteristics, anything that's long and fast, like tank penetrators and long range missiles and stuff. It's a known thing. But carbon allowed him to build a very light arrow with a heavy point. And that's when he started to see these dramatic changes. Durability, sharp, single bevel. There's 12 factors, but so he's the coolest guy ever and super fun to hang out with. There isn't no, there anybody on earth who wouldn't like to hang out with Ed Ashby. He's so much fun. So that's the short version. And so he did the study. It's very detailed, graphs, charts. I looked at a piece of it the other day. He was studying different tip, just the tip. So curved, tonto, pointy. U-shaped, rounded, and he did six shots with each tip. So that's 36 shots, and then compress the data. It's a crap load of work. It's actually pretty amazing that he went to that much detail. So people, there's a lot of naysayers and stuff and say you can shoot holes in that thing left and right. All I tell people is please do it and then prove us wrong. Yeah. We'll, we'll accept the data. I'm on the foundation. I'm not part of the board, but I'm part of the the team that gets it, keeps it going. If anybody beats a, beats the study somehow and has the data and has it written out, can't just stand around and give it the old, what's much BS? I mean, I get that all the time. <laughs> you can't do anecdotal comments. We'll take your information. So, but until now, the gold standard is an error over 650 grains, FOC above 19% with a hand sharpened, long skinny single level that's the gold standard to compare all other platforms with and i assure you they are terrifyingly awesome <laughs> it's amazing what they'll do i love it yeah well you always mention that facts are stubborn things and, and facts are stubborn down things. A bunch john of adams john adams was actually defending british soldiers in that and he they won a bunch of British soldiers went crazy. A uh, bunch of Americans back in the colonies went crazy drunk and started a fight with these British soldiers, and they killed a couple of Americans. And John Adams, who was in the process of working on the this thing called the Declaration of Independence, had to defend the British guys, and the British guys were right. And that's how he opened his closing argument: was facts are stubborn things. And he got they, he didn't get them off; they were in the right. It's kind of a crazy story, but you have to read books and like be interested in things like that. <laughs> Another one of my flaws, I read books and old books and stuff like that. So it's fun. But yeah, facts are stubborn things and it's a good time. So uh, Ed's studies, were those mostly from traditional bows or did he do some amount of compounds also? So in the beginning, they shot compounds, but they did have, you can't measure penetration if the arrows don't stop. So the, the study was done mostly with a trad bow, and it's also the least efficient platform, right? So if it'll be done with a stick bow, a compound gives you more velocity and higher momentum, it should scale up. But if you're shooting something big, like and that's why they shot buffaloes and stuff, a deer wouldn't do it because it, you couldn't make every arrow goes through, you can't measure. All you can write down is pass through, which is optimal, right? But when you do that, like I said, the point thing, curved, rounded, tip, da-da-da, you need them to stop. And then you can measure what's left. 
Okay. Oh, that one's 8% better. Well, if forward to center is 12% and arrow mass is 10% and the points 3% and the sharpness is 7%, it's like an algorithm and it adds up. And all of a sudden you have this arrow that's 82% better by each incremental thing of the 12 factors. So that's why they do the big animals. Rob Nielsen is going hippo hunting this summer and they're going to, they're going to plunk a hippo and do another study. Wow. That'll that be cool. Some bitch is going to stop some arrows. And I promise Absolutely. you there will not be a 400 grain arrow with a mechanical on the front of it. That's not even, I want him to do it. And he's like, it'll bounce off and hit me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little bit about how the study is done. And we're going to continue to go forward. It's a lot of fun. Excellent. That's why I've got um, a, a 25 and a 40 pound bow that the foundation bought me for testing. And I've killed two or three pigs with the 40 pound bow with 700 grain arrows and Bubba, they don't make it. Yeah. It kills the crap out of them. Going like so we, 40. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, so we could go on about that, the study forever. And uh, I just yeah. want to give our listeners a chance to find that information. I'm assuming they can go to the foundation website and click on some links right. there. Yeah, ashbybowhunting.org. The most relevant thing you'll want to see as you go into the supplemental reports. And there's a 2021 Cape Buffalo study. Rob had a lady show up in camp where she was planned to come. She shoots 38 pounds at 25 inches. And he made some arrows for her that were 30% forward to center. And on a downed Cape Buffalo bull, she put five consecutive shots into the opposite chest wall um, through the, they were good thoracic hits, no heavy bone, just the ribs, but the broadhead went all the way to the other side with 38 pounds. But that was a 12 factor optimized system. And we watch YouTube and people can't shoot through a deer. A deer is about, you know, it's a lot smaller than a cave buffalo. Let's just say that. A lot smaller. So, and we're going to get there. And right before that, Brian on the Ashby thing, you've been following Ashby for a while. Uh, Brian has. And Ashley has shot some pigs out in Florida. Um, Brian, you told me we're going to go shoot my first pig. Um, what were you shooting down there, Brian? I know you shot a few pigs down there. What was your setup then? How did it perform? Um, maybe Troy can criticize. Maybe you don't want him to. We'll see. But I know you were, I know you were very effective. You were effective. Well, you killed them. I'm just like, I'm asking, I'm kind of wondering what you were shooting them with. And yeah, I'm, I'm sort of up on the age of uh, getting towards Troy here, aside from your age. So we got to go way back to when I was shooting traditional bows and killing them down in Texas where Troy's at. Yep. Uh, I've shot them with everything from homemade self bows that I've made to long bows, recurves, uh, kind of like Troy. I, we just experimented with all kinds of different things. Uh, cedar shafts, heavy arrows, uh, lost a bunch of them, you know, just like Troy said, not knowing any better, having too light a setups, uh, not waiting for the perfect shot, but yeah, uh, the place in Florida that you're talking about that we've both recently been shooting pigs there. I'm just shooting a standard compound with about a 500 weight, 525 maybe with everything mm -hmm. package. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm working on it. I'm getting more interested in the uh, 600 grain that you guys have been talking about. And I'm going to order one of those kits from Sirius and, and, and get, nice. the, uh, no pun intended, get serious about it. Yep. This uh, spring literally go 650. Just do it. Just jump over the log, man. 
It's sure. a different. You go six fifty, and the next one with a single bevel, shoot them here. So it's disruptive. I'm tempted just to go six fifty. Um, to your point, Brian, I went down to the place in Florida. I brought my bow, flew it down there. I had probably a five hundred grain arrow, or no, probably probably four fifty, four twenty five with a hundred grain. It was a G five, two blade, Havoc mechanical. Before I knew Troy, before I knew this stuff, um, I arrowed that that hog, and I watched blood pour out. The arrow only went in maybe six, seven inches. Probably two hundred pound hog, um, maybe maybe one seventy five. Not gigantic, but good size. And uh, and and the guy literally, he looks at me, he goes, "Oh no!" I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Ah, told you you should have had the gun." And I'm thinking, uh. I feel pretty good about it. You know, what's the issue? And he's like, oh, man, no, he shoulder punched him. Not good. I'm like, oh, my gosh. First time ever doing this. Right. So I'm like freaking out inside. And uh, I, I watched him run away. Blood just leaking out. And I'm like, well, I think I got something good in there. And he's like, yeah, oh, man. And he's he's done this probably 500 times. So he's, yeah, as soon right. as he saw my bow come out of the truck, he's like, oh, boy. And uh, but we, we ended up finding him. It was a great shot. He, he died 150 yards later. But mm-hmm. the whole point is I can see where his concern was in terms of very little penetration, um, bringing somebody out there, going through all this work. And then now we have an injured hog on the run. You know, it's like it could have been a mess. Uh, luckily, I, I made a decent shot and it was good. But at that time, the air only went in seven, eight inches total. And that was probably 525 total weight. I'm still shooting. That No, I bet that was lighter than that. I bet that was probably... 475 total weight because now I added inserts. I'm shooting about 530. But um, yeah, that was that was interesting. You know, his thought on the whole thing, his immediate reaction, just him with hogs for 30 years and me yeah, and right. Matt, he's kind of like seen this before, you know. Um, it's just it's it's kind of interesting. So I just didn't know what Brian used to shoot his pigs with and and whatnot. And it's just the, the mechanical uh G5 does make a sharp mechanical, but I've, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm shooting fixed. No, for sure. Yeah. Most, most people, they just don't know. It's fine. I, I say a lot of crazy crap on my channel and stuff like that, but I've been there. And the difference now is I will say that I definitely, you know, you will have reduced blood trails because of the narrow, narrower broadheads, but the arrows will go through them. Like they're not even there. And they, they just don't pigs animals without an arrow in them don't run they run but they don't go anywhere they run and they stop if the arrow's sticking out of them it's going to whack trees and stuff and it keeps them going and makes them keep going and it's it's real i've shot a lot of pigs that you know, i shot smooth through them and they kind of spin around looking around they're dead they don't know it and then they just kind of run off they're not head down going through the brush where you can hear them just, i rarely actually hear them crash Cause I don't, I think they run and stop and then they just tip over. I mean, occasionally I get one that does a cartwheel out there and it's wonderful. You know, you're it's fantastic. But usually my average, um, first blood difference, uh, distance, this is something everybody should do. They should write all this stuff down, but nobody wants to do that because facts are stubborn things and people hate getting kicked in the head. It takes about 35 yards of fine blood for me. And usually they're right there. Like I start finding blood and the pigs down or I smell them. 
I find a lot of pigs in the dark by going downwind and you just walk back and forth and all of a sudden you'll smell them. It's just easier that way. I also have a thermal on my phone. It's really kick ass in the winter. <laughs> you just walk out there and go like this. Oh, hey, right there. <laughs> Is that on your phone? Yeah, there's a little thermal attachment you can buy that you stick on your phone. It's got to be cold. It's got to, it can't be like now. It's, it's above 70 or 80 degrees and everything's kind of the same temperature. But wow. when it's below 50, you just, when I hit them right now, I guess go. There's no, I don't wait. I mean, they're dead. When I yeah. hit them low and in the, in the it, forward, I give them 10 yeah. minutes and I go get them. Uh, and I know it sounds arrogant, but man, well, it, it, when it you learn where the right shot it. is, they can't survive. They yeah. can't. They're dead. They're running, but they're dead. And so if anybody think Troy sounds, if, if anybody think Troy sounds arrogant, go to his YouTube channel, 55,000 subscribers may, may batten down that arrogant feeling a little bit. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I think it's incredible. Why didn't everybody just leave me alone? I wanted to live in my little hole. <laughs> exactly. You're be too busy laughing to think he's arrogant. I'll tell you that much. Oh, I, yeah, I never thought you were arrogant. I love it. Yeah. I hate arrogant people. I I wouldn't have you on here if I thought you were arrogant. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. I've done, I've done a lot of things, and I'm a little kid right now. I mean, I'm a little. One of my friends sent me a picture of his beer can shooting potato gun, and I texted him back. I said, "When in the hell are we going to grow up?" <laughs> like we're in our fifties, we shouldn't be making beer can to get a walker, eat, 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 get some ED medicine, get our faces all puffed up with that Botox bullshit, and my friend's shooting beer cans out of a potato gun and thinks it's funny, right? I mean, uh, God, I'm never gonna grow up. I think Tannerite's great, launching freaking tire rims hundred feet in the air. My kids grew up shooting Tannerite and blowing up dryers and crap when they were eight years old. They don't have a clue. <laughs> What normal people do. We put five pounds of Tannerite in a dryer and blew it out of the picture of the damn camera. You couldn't, I mean, it was all gone. That's uh, fantastic. Like, Eight years old. Oh, right? man. <laughs> I oh, think, yeah. I think we live in the, in the wrong States, Brian. I think we need to, we need to live in Texas. Uh, we, we almost had a, a habitat plan down there, Troy, not too far from you. Didn't end up kicking in, but we need to come down there and see it. Cause that would have been a good time. Um, I think well, if y'all that, come down, holler at me. If y'all come for something, come call me. We'll go to the ranch and y'all can blast pigs. I don't give a crap. I don't, I'll don't. i shoot them. But I'm taking some friends starting out this weekend. We'll shoot some pigs and whatever. I'll just be kind of running around with my ranch hand crap doing whatever. Ranch fairy stuff. That's that's why I came up with the ranch fairy name. I've been calling myself the ranch fairy because I run the ranch. and I do all the crap and tractors and fences and all that and take care of the cows with, with the ranch manager and all that. And um, So I've been calling myself the ranch fairy for 10 years with the family. Just call the ranch fairy. If the AC's out, I'll come down and fix it, you know? Yep. And that's how I kind of came up with the name. But it's been fun. <laughs> it's, you know, it's probably the most rewarding thing as I age. I really like seeing other people succeed. I love seeing all the pictures come in where people say, I've never shot through a deer. This one went 40 yards. Wow. You know, that's when it's rewarding. And it's fun to see, like, the Honey Public kids you know, start playing with this stuff. And I mean, Jake shot an elk this year, quartering two, and it went 47 yards or something, you wow. know, and shot through it, shot completely through it. He just went point on the shoulder because it was quartering two and just blasted through it with like 700 grand arrows. Yeah. And so, like I said, as I age, I'd rather be fishing and I'm going to keep doing the channel because other people benefit. I mean, I, I really help. I think I'm helping the sport. Not, actually, I know I am. I don't give a crap. Absolutely. What he means. For sure. You are. You are. And, and I think um, if everybody doesn't know, we are 
this is a video podcast, so this will be on YouTube. So you can see us all having a great time here. Uh, but Troy's his YouTube is called Ranch Ferry, just so you guys know. And um, yeah, I mean Zach Farrenbaugh, he shot a buck in Nebraska about two years ago, dead on front and shoulder, boom, right through it, seven hundred grain, single bevel, just like you talk about. And um, and kind of segueing into our, our next thing here, I asked you a question at ATA. I said, "What is your what is your perfect whitetail?" arrow setup in terms of take all the wild, you know, outliers out of the equation, you know, put everybody in a, in a, a big three-year-old, four-year-old buck at 30 yards, you know, what is that set up? And then, you know, what is your setup? I want to know what your setup is and, and how you got there. So if I was advising somebody and I preach this all the time, I'm the 900 grain arrow guy for some reason, which is actually 900 grains doesn't stop. I've done it. I've thousand thirty five is the most I've killed with. And it was hilarious. Unreal. and it wow. went right through a 200 pound pig it went through him like he wasn't there just do it just went Choo. but anyway i've been, i've been saying for years and years that 550 perfectly flying with a single bevel on the front is a is the first step you need to get to yeah you need you're gonna have to learn to sharpen you have to grow up a little bit take your freaking panties off put the man pants on and and take responsibility if your broadhead's being sharp you can't just pull them out of the package and say says hunting sharp so that's really a big deal. Uh, physiologically, it's a huge deal. And then um, if you can get to 550 perfectly flying. Now, let me be clear. That's why I sell the kits. So the, my kits on the on Sirius, just look for my face and go to the Ranch Ferry store, or Google the Ranch Ferry store. There's two spines. There's two arrows of each spine. There's what we think is on spine, and then there's stiffer. And you're going to shoot through it with a bunch of different field points and find a bro- find the setup that shoots for you. You're going to be somewhere around 550, just shooting 125 grand point. I'm suggesting get 200 grand points, but whatever. <clears throat> 550 is the goal. If 525 flies and 580 doesn't, shoot 525. It's got to shoot. It's got to fly on target. Vice versa, if you're one of these speed nuts who clearly can tell that 525 is a little wonky and 585 is flying awesome or 620 is just repeatedly donking in there, but you just can't get over it. You're compromising arrow flight for your stupid idea that faster or whatever is better. It's flying sideways really fast. Actually, let me get big Jake. Oh boy, here we go. This is big Jake. I remember that. Okay, I had this at ATA. So if you have an arrow that's flying like this and it's really heavy, that's good. If it's flying like this and it's really fast, it's going to hit like that and then it's going to redirect at impact. Or it's going to wobble all the way down the range and it's going to swim. The broad, you're going to say, that broadhead brand XYZ don't fly worth a damn. I emailed the company, told them, kiss my ass. And what happened is your arrow took off like this this is a wing, three blade, four blade, whatever. It bites into the atmosphere and the tail starts fighting and it's doing that because your arrow's, arrow flight sucks. So I say get around 550. Get, and, and one of the things that is often missed, don't shoot a really heavy shaft. So I recommend around 10 grains per inch. You don't want to go super light to some of them are too thin walled. You don't want to go to 12 or 15 or full metal jacket, which is the worst arrow on the planet next to Carbon Express because their stupid spine chart is backwards. So don't buy Carbon Express because you won't understand 
the spine chart, a 250 is 400 spine. That is idiotic. Everybody else plays by the rules. And then you don't want a really heavy arrow. You want a lightish arrow and load the front and it's more aerodynamically stable. This is all out there. Go research the Sandia report, anything about model rockets, aerodynamic lift, aerodynamic jump, and anything about how airplanes fly. And it'll all start to make sense. So that's where I start. 550-ish, perfect flight, either side of 550 and a single bevel broadhead, especially the public guys. This is one of the first conversations I had with the hunting public is I kept seeing crazy shot angles and you can't pass. Well, you can, but it's a lot of work. I mean, every day you're making this mile long march, climbing up some wonky ass tree somewhere. So, so you're saying after all the work that they're going through, they get their opportunity, the deer scoring too. And that's, that's your chance. Right. And they, they, if you're, if you know, you've got a crappy setup and a big flapper and a twizzler, and you pass, I'm okay with that because you're going to wait for the right angle and then shoot them with a crappy system. Okay, I can honor you for that, but I don't think people do that. I think people lie. And if after six days of hunting, man, we're human. I'll squeeze her in there, right? It's your day seven, day six, you're freezing your ass off, you got to piss real bad, and here he comes. And you get kind of a half-ass quarter and two shot, and then that's it. You know he's going into bushes. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you shoot an adult setup with the right broadhead, you can point on them. Listen, it only has to go in about this far quarter and in. Because it's, you're, you're hitting the front of the lungs and everything. You want to shoot through them. Don't get me wrong. But if it goes bonk, you, they're gone. If it stops on the bone, right? So um, that was one of the first topics I talked to the hunting public about was how many quartering in shots I saw on their videos. I don't watch your videos. I just, they know this. I skip forward to all the side, the shooting part and then go, oh, wow, look at that. Because I'm a nerd. And I said, you just don't have a choice. So why don't you shoot a system that gives you the widest array of shot angles rather than, ah, crap, ah, pass, oh, pass, right? That's a lot of work. We get, we're lucky down here in public. We just, or private, we just sit around and plunk on. Stupid, you can come back tomorrow. Doesn't work that way in public. <laughs> all the pressure and everything so that's where i'd go that's kind of the first step um to getting this done all day long but so you mentioned go ahead Brian. yeah so yeah. you mentioned sharpness and how important that is explain to our listeners why you just can't take for granted if your broadhead's sharp enough or not yeah so there's a lot of junky steel out there. There's a lot of companies that get their stuff done in China for the lowest bid. There's a lot of low grade stainless on a lot of cool looking broadhead platforms that won't hold up. And quite frankly, won't hold an edge very long going 280 feet per second. It's the velocity that eats them up. And then, um, so learning to sharpen and making sure that you're responsible for what is in your quiver and I it takes a lot of work. I've spent the last two years learning and I can get to the point now that the hair jumps off. When I, when I shave my arm, it doesn't sit on the blade. It's gone. It's jumping off. It's popping. And it's terrifying to learn to strop and all that stuff. But from a physiologic standpoint, the easiest um, example I have is cutting PVC. We've all tried to do it with a hacksaw. 
And if it, when you do it with a hacksaw, there's a bunch of hairy crap on there. There's a bunch of pieces and chunks hanging in the hole and all that. And that's what happens when you shoot them with a moderately dull broadhead or draw broadhead that's rough. It shreds and tears up the end of the uh, blood vessels and all that. Whereas with a pair of PVC cutters, it's clean. And that simulates a really sharp broadhead. Your body has a thing called uh, prothrombin and all this other crap. It's called the Claudian Cascade. It's another medical fact. You can look that up. The more damage you do to the uh, arterial walls and everything, the more response your body says, an animal says, fix it now. And you got to fix a flat in there. Those little hanging teeth from the uh, from cutting it with the PVC with the uh, saw allow this stuff to grab on and seal faster than if it's cut perfectly clean. It's like cutting yourself with a razor blade, and the damn thing just keeps bleeding and bleeding. Or your wife bitching when she shaves her legs and she's sitting there bleeding. Right? Not that that <laughs> ever happens, but um, that's the difference. And it's just a physiologic fact. So when the broadhead is much sharper. It actually causes less of a reaction physiologically and bleeds more freely. So if you do not get a blood trail, which is more common than you want to admit, write that crap down. Well, you won't. But anyway, um, if you don't get a blood trail, they don't go anywhere. And you kind of know where they went. So you go that direction and start looking. And that's why you want to get really sharp, stropped broadheads. It's one of the 12 factors that Ed found out, even for penetration. He shot into multiple layers of uh, hide on the Asiatics that they skinned and the really sharp broadheads penetrated better. It wasn't 20 inches better, but they performed better. Once again, I said earlier, it's an equation, right? 10% here, 8% there, 2% there, sticks. All of a sudden, you got an 82% better system. And uh, it's mostly the physiologics, though. The clotting cascade, look that up. It's rather detailed. All the surgeons know it. All the surgeons make clean cuts because it's easier to seal them back off and sew them back up. And despite all the redneckery out there, sorry, John Adams, suck it. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm glad Brian asked that question. I think it's, um, I mean, how many times have, have I even sharpened an after or a broadhead, you know, after it came out of the package? Not since watching, not since, uh, or not before watching you, um, you know, and they make guides and jigs and whatnot where you can run yeah, that sure. down now. It's you so simple. Lansky, you can use anything. You just 30 bucks, them. 20 bucks. Yeah. Right. I just use a piece of paper and I set the broadhead down and with the blade up and I push it on there. And if it slides or buckles at all, it's, it's not going out. And I'll mm -hmm. usually strop it. Generally speaking, you can take any factory broadhead and strop it. And it'll come right around. It'll get way, way better. I have a saying that Ed has picked up, which was kind of impressive and flattering at the same time. He said the other day, a good friend of mine says this, broadheads are either uh, staying static state or they are eroding, but they don't get sharper. And shredded blades are no good sign. If Explain you shoot a deer. Mean. What do you mean there? What? Explain what well, you mean. Like I'll give, I'm not knocking muzzies. I shot a ton of animals with muzzies, but it always seems like the blades were chewed up. Like the blades were always dinged up and shredded and torn up and stuff. Wow, and people yeah. think that's a good thing, right? Um, 
boring hitting a rock or something, you know, be realistic. If you shoot like out here elevated, you're at the ranch, we have sand, but in the hill country, you, you're done. If it goes through the deer, <laughs> it's in rocks. You can't look at that one. But if you get an arrow that stays in an animal, let's say you hit one back and it hit lodges in the shoulder and they run off with it. And you kind of got a good idea. If the blades are really shredded and torn up, you need to be concerned because one of these days is going to fail you if it didn't survive, right? And you only know that if you go to the real high quality stuff and you shoot through a pig and then you pick it up and it still shaves. Most people are used to shooting through their animal with broadheads kind of a, it's done. They just throw in the garbage or whatever. And the more I do this, man, that's not the best sign ever. It's going to cost you one one day. And you'll never know that was it. Like I said earlier, I'm pretty sure my 50% number was because the broadheads weren't surviving. I think they weren't surviving impact. And they were super dull. And so it just didn't cut as well into the internal organs that were seriously lethal. And um, one more fact, because I like those things. Uh, arteries are semi-muscular, rather dense, and they actually flex and stuff. So they're not that easy to cut. They're extremely lethal, but they're very durable. And now if your broadhead's kind of dull, they'll roll over. I've done that with needle sticks. That's <laughs> an RT trying to stick people here. And you literally go like this and you see they already roll out of the way. And people go, and you have to stick them like four times. That's not a happy customer when you got to stick them four times. But the arteries can roll out of the way of a, of a needle. It's crazy. So we'll do the same thing with the broadhead. And yeah, and you're, and you're saying like the broadhead erodes, right? It doesn't sit in your quiver and get sharper. Every time you pull it out, put it back in, it doesn't sit there and get sharper. So like, how often are you, are you honing in your broadheads um, throughout the season, for instance? Every day, every time I go hunting, I check them on paper. I just take a piece of paper and cut into them. And if it's good, I'll, I just, I can't, you can't, that's, man, that's the first thing that hits the deer and the only thing that kills the deer. So if you're all your matching underwear and your freaking beanie hat and all this bull crap on your bow and arrow and your wrist, you got to add order a certain wrist strap for your stupid uh, release because it matches your underwear. That crap just doesn't matter. And then you don't look at your broadheads and that's what kills them. I'm, I know I'm being kind of crazy, but it's a very simple equation. Broadhead kills them. And if you, you, this probably one of the most neglected things of bow hunting. Everybody wants to look cool and buy the coolest bow and so they show off their friends and I paid $1,400 for a bow. That was crap. I'm the coolest guy. I get this all the time. Hey, man, I just coughed up for the $1,400 XYZ Super Bow. Can you tell me some cheap arrows and broadheads to shoot with because I don't have any money? And you, don't, like, you don't actually get that question. I get it all the time. Every fall. I get a thousand messages a month starting in May. May wow. through uh, probably October. It's all tuning and stuff like that. Easily yeah, a sure. thousand. And um, I get that question all the time. And I literally say, you screwed the pooch. You did not think about what kills the damn deer. I just say that. I said, sorry. There's no way out. Well, yeah, there's ways out. You're just going to be pissed off. Your $1,400 bow didn't kill a deer. Yeah, right. The bow never kills the deer. There isn't a damn bow on earth killed a deer. I bet somebody's dropped one on a deer and strangled them to death or bonk one on the head. That might happen once. <laughs> okay. For all you haters out there, put that up on the comments in the YouTube and tell us how you killed a deer with a bow. But the arrow kills the deer. 
Yeah. And you should be, you should build a $400 set of arrows that are badass and super sharp and shoot a $600 bow. I've done it. I've got that little kid bow in there. That's 40 pounds. I think it's a $300 bow. It bears shafts beautifully with 740 grains. Cause I was pushing the Florida center up to 30%. But my, you know, I've got tough heads on the front. I've got stainless steel adapters in the broad, in the shafts. I got serious arrows the flesh with feathers, which is a pain in the ass, but super awesome. And the bow's 400 bucks and it shoots fine. But I still haven't killed a deer with a bow yet. I haven't. It's never happened. What, what, I'm trying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the whole, that's hilarious. I it is it. for lack of effort. I haven't tried to kill them. <laughs> I haven't done it. So I'd probably do it. I'd, if I had to put money on it, I bet Tim Wells might have it done before you. I'm just, I'm just saying. He I'm might. Sure. Yeah, that's right. He's got all kind of crazy stuff going on. He, he does. does, he, does that, he does that wild stuff. Yeah. But mm -hmm. to your point, you mentioned, um, you know, everybody's so excited about that two inch cut or that big hole. You see people prying the hole open before the trophy shots, that sort of thing. Uh, that's mm -hmm. fine. You know, I'd, whatever, do your thing. But finding the deer versus finding blood you mentioned something earlier where you don't look for blood so much you just go after the animal um or, or you look for blood too but at the same time i can quote from experience this year um i have 15 acres it's a very narrow long skinny 15 acres both the bucks i shot were both fixed blade 530 grain with a heavy foc and they didn't leave a lot of blood but they died within my eyesight um, mm -hmm. yeah. which is interesting, right? So do you want the blood trail with a big, wide open, you know, cut, or do you want the deer dead? So I, cause I think there's, I think there's probably some facts out there about fixed blades, not leaving as much blood as a big mechanical, right? Nobody's really studied it at length. Nobody okay. studied blood trails at length and written it down. So that's not, there's a lot of moving skin and internal linings and things that get in the way. Angled shots tend to close up more than. I, I listen. I'll tell you. I've shot a lot of critters with the mechanical. When they work, it's terrifying. I've got, I've had some places where the pig spun and knee high. There was blood just in a circle. It was just amazing when they work. But I had a lot of weird. I just had a lot of weird. And they're either awesome or not. They're equally as not awesome. The other direction failing. That was my experience. Okay, so. The, the more I do this, I just shoot them low and forward and kill them. And if you get a blood trail, fine. But I'm, you know, it just, it's hard once you see it, once you've done it a lot, and once you, I've tested a lot and I've done a lot of stupid crap I've shot. I don't talk about this a lot, but I shot three pigs with double bevels, 520 grains. And I shot three little hundred pounders quarter and then I found zero. I stopped doing it. I just stopped doing it, shooting on the point of the shoulder at 15 yards and just say, certainly it's going to work one of these times. Well, no, the arrow's 26 inches long when they run off or it flies out. And then I go to 700 in a single bevel and it's hilarious. You're chut and their other, that leg ain't working. They're a three-wheeler. I know what you're saying. So it's not more of a broadhead discussion as much of uh, where you put the broadhead in terms of you're not afraid of the shoulder blade. You're not afraid of the leg bone you're not afraid of the front quartering shot with the your setup instead of aiming behind the shoulder three inches to stay away from that shoulder blade you're going in there right so 
I did a whole quartering two shot series on my channel because it's such a common shot. And when you aim three inches, you know, say you aim at the crease quartering two, you're barely hitting one lung. You might hit the liver and you're going to gut shoot them. There's not going to be a blood trail out of a tree stand. You're the, 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 the hang on. The arrow is coming out the guts. You're assuring if you shoot back on a quartering two shot, you're assuring no blood trail with the highest percentage that you can assure it because it is going to exit in the stomach or the large intestine and the stomach's full of grass. I don't know how people can't figure this out. It's, it's, you know, actually that's kind of shitty, but um, they don't think they're not, they're not trying to be stupid. They don't know that they're being stupid. And so that's why I did the recording two shot series with my pig diagram. I was, was showed the arrow moving around. And how dangerous that shot is for a one lung, pure gut, no blood trail shot because the entry's high, assuming you're up, and then exit stomach. The stomach sits down in the stomach in, in the body cavity. It's not very high; it's very low. So that exit is going to be in the stomach, and all that grass. And they say, oh, "I don't believe that protein worth crap." Called it, you know, I emailed the damn company, told them they're a bunch of idiots. Eh, I don't know. You know, the stomach was there. <laughs> so, and then on the, if you shoot a mechanical, if it never gets out, you got a high entry. So you may yeah. not get a blood trail. True. Right? Fill up high. Level. True. Yeah. Absolutely. Gra gravity pulls everything down. Blood don't spray up. If you hit the artery in the back, that's about this big. Good luck with that. I'm not that good. I kind of shoot for the general front part towards the front. <laughs> I always tell people shoot the big part towards the front. And uh, it's, it's pretty, I had an exceptional experience. I just went with uh, Giannis Petrellis to down hunting nail guy. Awesome. And he, he killed a bull. That, that was your party from last week. Nice. Yeah. And um, he killed a big bull and it was 27 yard shot and he hit it right in front of the ham. And, we got 38 inches of penetration. The broadhead was puffed out the neck right here like a bullet. It went 65 yards. There was no blood trail. He shot through a foot and a half of gut of, of stomach. The thing, the stomach on that thing was like humongous. And then it went right through the center of the diaphragm and went dead center through the heart, cut both lungs, got arteries coming out, and it was, it was, it was puckered up here. It didn't exit. And it went 65 yards. If he'd have gotten 16 inches of penetration, he'd have made the diaphragm. It would have looked pretty good in it. It would have been over half an arrow because he's 30 inch arrow. It looked good. It would have stayed pretty still. We didn't ever found it. We did a full necropsy on it. It was amazing how far that arrow had to go before it got to the lungs was amazing. That's a big damn animal. I never hunted them. They're everywhere, man. They're huge. So. Wow. That just keeps coming up. And I just, I'm doing a video, I'm getting a post um, on the quarter and away shot and how it needs to penetrate as far as possible, especially when you get to elk, nail guy, caribou, moose. You're talking about asking for four feet of penetration on a bull elk if he gets a hard quarter and away shot. It's got to go three feet to get to the lungs. Jeez. Right. So that's the kind of stuff how my kind of head works. Um, that hard quarter and shot behind the ribcage, you're not getting the blood trail unless it exits. You're done. And you could have an arrow and a half of penetration in an elk and it's inside of you. 
He ain't bleeding. The guts are in the way. A foot and a half wide. <laughs> and the diaphragm's in the way, blocking the blood. It's it's all it's all John Adams. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what really got my attention and getting back to what Jared mentioned about uh, worrying about that shoulder shot and things, it's it's like you mentioned, you know, for plan B, because we're always thinking, oh, I'm going to make the perfect shot. I'm going to wait till it's standing there perfectly broadside. But that's what really got me thinking when you mentioned that. And like you mentioned earlier in our conversation about being human and, you know, day six, you're not going to be perfect with everything. You're tired. You're you want to make that shot. You want to get something in the truck and, you know. Yeah, plan no B is a big, shots, big deal. You know, it's four o'clock. It's going to get dark in an hour and a half. You're praying to God to kill them fast. So you don't have to drag them out in the dark. There's a lot of things going through your head you don't realize. And then second, the biggest thing is the animals move. And um, they change. They could change your impact point from a, you could be shooting at the perfect spot and they change it by six or eight inches from an elevated position. They're not jumping up. And a deer on earth ever jumped up. They go down and roll. The, the shoulder blade drops, the deer drops, you're going to introduce a shoulder blade and you go bonk because everybody told you it's all about child placement until they, the deer have a vote. They've been avoiding dying for as long as they've been alive. Birds all night, coyotes, humans, freaking everything chases them around, right? If you don't think that they're on edge a little bit and know how to survive, you're stupid. And it's just a real basic thing. So when you, you do, you did shoot perfectly and they still move it six inches from impact or eight or two. Um, you better be ready for that. You better. It's, it's just part of the game. We'll never beat them. An arrow's got to go with 1200 feet per second before it beats the speed of sound. It's 11 and a half, something like that. And uh, I haven't seen that bow yet. Maybe one day we'll get there and the arrows will start exploding. <laughs> I release. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work out. So it's a super fun, it's a super fun puzzle. And then, like I said earlier, I'm getting old. It's fun to see all the people survive, you know, succeed. That's where really where my passion is now is the people who listen and try it and whack stuff and, I mean, I've had pictures of guys who are 50 years old. They've got an F-350 in the back and a scooter and they got a deer. They got a, some money, right? They're not starving to death. They're not rookies. And they say, this is the first arrow shot through my life. You know, that's when it's awesome. I shot through him and he went 42 yards, looked at me and doop, tipped over. I was like, thumbs up, bro. I mentioned this earlier. It should just be if you shoot poorly. But if the system, arrow system fails or has a potential to fail, then you really got to shoot good. You really have to be a better shot and get away with some crap to shoot a crappy arrow system that you know has a chance of not surviving something. And uh, it's a pretty simple equation once you think of it that way. Amen. It's super fun. Yeah, I, I can't urge people enough to just get on the program, the Ashby program, your program, your YouTube. Yep. Um, when your arrow just doesn't stop, it's such a good feeling to have two holes in a deer instead of one or in any animal you're hunting. Um, I mean, go look for the deer, you know, they're lying there. I mean, it's like you said, Brian, the plan B, if you don't make the great shot, 
and you end up going into a shoulder or something else, you know, you, you want to have some ass behind it to get through there. Right. Um, Even if me. you hit the shoulder blade and they're moving and you only get half the arrow in them, it's better than a bulk. Right. Right. And I've seen some idiots on, I used to do message boards, but um, no, it's a freaking loony world. <laughs> and um, you see people who say, well, I'd rather wound them with a mechanical or kill them super dead than shoot that stupid stuff. Oh, I'm sure. Everybody wants to walk around and not succeed. Right. In other words, I'm going to go ahead and admit failure as I start to make an excuse for my stupid idea. And uh, now it's fine. There are more customers, future customers. Failure makes sales for the ranch ferry. It's <laughs> <laughs> my story, right? Really? It's my story. I failed a lot and, and made a change. So they'll come around. Well, Maybe I should not say point. stupid okay, so often. Point. Well, yeah. no, you, no, keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> hey, you can't make everybody happy in this life. That's, that's a fact. Oh, I, as I get older, I'm getting real kind of no shit. Just get back. I'm saying what I want to say. And I, when I started the channel, I said, I'm just going to freaking go for it. I don't care. And it worked. A lot of people said, dude, I like the blunt honesty and all the sarcasm. And crap. I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep doing that. I'm real good at it. I practice sarcasm and not paying attention. Nobody works on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I can I can tell you I know some people, friends of mine, who who were not on board, are not on board, and just like doing what they do, and that's fine. But I tell you what, I'm on board, brother, for sure. Oh, you I know, assure people. We were talking about this this weekend. I was at my buddy's coast house. We were down fishing with the ladies were there, and I said, "Dude, if something ever happened to my wife." Like she passed away or whatever, I would turn into, I would go to level, like I'm at level two and a half right now. I'm, a, I'm tamed down. I got the woman, 30 years of being married, sure, right? Sure. You know, I've got the testicle cuff, all that stuff. And um, I am, man, I could, I'd have grow my hair out, earring, pull a couple of teeth. I'd be tan, like scary tan, have a damn stick and jab little kids. Get back, you little bastards. And just... <laughs> And get the blue zipper suit with the little buckle. Oh, <laughs> and just be a uh, maniac. <laughs> so thank goodness for good women to keep us in line. I'll tell yeah, you. right. Yeah, no, Mrs. Fowler is awesome. My wife is <laughs> absolutely fantastic. She's wonderful and puts up with all my crap and my crazy hunting and fishing stuff. She always has. Oh, yeah. and so without her, you know, I wouldn't be here. But oh my, I told her when We're I turned the 60, same boat. Yeah, it's super fun. She's a great lady. Well, anything else you want to cover? No, not tonight, buddy. Nope. We've, you've had you uh, over an hour with us here tonight. Thank you so much for that. Um, we do want to get you back on, though, for the Habitat talk. Ashley, cover your ranch, how you manage that, the way you've improved your whitetails over the past, uh, you know, five, ten years, your control burns for quail, all that. So, unfortunately, I don't think you're off the hook yet, but I hope you'll come back on for another round. We no, have a great I'll come time. back for that. That's a lot of fun. That's something that really interests me. We have terrible habitat on our ranch. I do not have a classic South Texas place with all of them. In South Texas, there's like six, you know, 35 plants that are eat. We have three or five or something. Something We have a lot of open range. Um, we don't have a very high deer population, but I started managing the herd about eight or 10 years ago, burning the place. I don't have a fence. I mean, it's low fenced. I don't protein feed. But I'd love to talk about shooting does and shooting the right bucks out. You know, killing off some of the bucks. I have a lot of nieces and nephews that are little. So when we start seeing on camera some buck that just has the wrong, like no brow tines and skinny horns, a seven year old doesn't care. 
They think right. it's the best thing ever happened. Hey, look, there he is. Oh, boom. Hey, help that deer hurt out. Right? You know, <laughs> and then we'll work them up and we'll let them shoot a big one later. So that would be a lot of fun. And um, like I said, I sent you all those, we were talking earlier, but I sent you those pictures of what we had. And then Howard who showed up this year was majestic. I mean, he's a freaking for that place. He's a monster. And um, it's be a lot of fun to talk about that. So yeah, have me back on the summer or whatever. And we'll do that or whenever, you know, if you get bored or nobody wants to talk to you, I will, I'll be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> we no, appreciate that. Because nobody else to talk to us. And that some bitch talk to anybody in a fly and a wall and he'll talk to his own toes or whatever. You don't like people that much. So we'll keep moving. I appreciate the time and y'all have a good evening. God bless. And, um, Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> Thanks, Troy. All right, Troy. Thank you very much, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal we can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras, the Habitat Hook from Nation's Creations, Packer Max Cultipackers, Afflictor Broadheads, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. <laughs> <laughs>